You are experiencing the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we are bringing you the people and the organizations fighting for liberty around the country and in your region. Uh, and we hope that they will inspire you to do the same. And I forgot to give you the date at the beginning. So the date today is August 14th. 2023. Um, and uh, uh, by the way, too, if you'd like us to do a show in your region uh, with uh, somebody, uh, just uh, try and contact us at uh, facebook.com at Knuckleheads of Liberty. Uh, send us an email uh, at uh, knuckleheads at knuckleheadsofliberty.com. Today we have a special guest and we're going to be really kind of focusing on the retail industry today. Um, and so our guest today is uh, John Kabatek. He is the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Um, and so they really representing kind of that small retail end, you know, the small businesses in there um, who oftentimes don't have a lot of voice uh, that a lot of these juggernauts like, you know, Walmart has where they can just get on the phone to their legislator and <laughs> get them to write whatever legislation they want, I guess. Um, but uh, um, and, uh, John also is the president of a uh, he is the president of Catabic Strategies, and that's a public uh, a public affairs firm. Um, so uh, and before we get into the show, let me introduce you to the rest of our panel in our lower left hand corner today. We have Leon Word Brathwaite, last word in liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. Um, in our right hand corner is John Kabatek, who I've just been talking about. And my name is Jason McPhee, and I'll be your host today. So let's dive into the show. Uh, so. John, uh, I guess tell us a little bit about NFID, kind of what the mission is and what you guys do. And James, before he gets into that, maybe you could pull up the website, too, just to help us out there. Thanks so much. Well, it's great to be here, Jason. Thank you so much. And Leon and the whole team um, enjoying the Knuckleheads of Liberty. I've seen a few of your shows and uh, uh, just grateful to be here and be able to most importantly get that voice of small business out there. Uh, and so proud uh, for the past, gosh, I was doing the math and I think my hair was a lot browner when I started at NFIB. Uh, <laughs> welcome to California politics and small business. Uh, but about 13 to 14 years been here. And yes, the National Federation of Independent Business, um, speaking of California, although we are a national organization by, by our name, of course, uh, we were founded. We're a California baby. We were founded back in 1943 by a gentleman who had a little machine shop down in South San Francisco. Um, he was a member of the United States Chamber at the time, and that was back 80 years ago this year. Um, but at the time, even back then, he really felt that, that there needed to be an organization that was really fighting for the small business owner, the privately held independent business owner, gets up every morning, puts their key in the door, um, employs people. We respect business levels of every size, you know, but I think what this gentleman uh, basically did back in 1943 was say, look, we need a group, an organization that's fighting for main street operators. And what Wilson Harder did at that time was create the uh, a little club and just like a typical small business, um, it kind of blossomed a little bit from there regionally and statewide. And today we are the National Federation of Independent Business. We have a presence in Washington, D.C., and also in every single state capital. And our mission is quite simple. It's to protect the right of our members, our small business owners, to own, operate, and grow their small businesses. Um, so we're really proud of that. I think it was really in line with his vision. And I think some of the things that were important to him is that um, uh, every member had a vote and they have a vote. Uh, we have a, a, mo a motto that says one member, one voice. And so that goal is to make sure that we're listening to the small business owners. They tell us what issues are important to them. We go ahead and fight for them at the state and federal level and make sure that we're giving them a chance to grow, create jobs and build the economy. And we lo I love that about NFIB. You know, there, some groups have these boardrooms with five or six people and they make the decisions for their thousands of members. But we have about 14,000 members in California, 350,000 nationwide. Each of them has a voice in this process. So I love that about us. We're the ones out there fighting for Main Street and we're 80 years strong and we got the bells and whistles to celebrate this year. <laughs> <laughs> so John, so John, what 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 do you consider a small business? I mean, and how do you how do you make a determination of whether a business is a small business or <clears throat> a large establishment of some kind? What is the cutoff? Yeah, and, and John, John, before you answer real quick, uh, get perfect, James. That's what I should get. Yeah. Our invisible hand is ahead of us. Boy, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's a great question, Leon, and thank you. Uh, as you can see uh, on the screen here, we have a really good breakdown in terms of the makeup of uh, small business owners. Um, you know, great question. I think when I first started at NFIB, oh my gosh, back in 2007, um, somebody had told me, you know, and the best way to describe NFIB is we welcome all small business owners, uh, privately held independent business owners. I think the one person said to me, if you can take your business to a stockbroker, um, we're probably not the organization for you. <laughs> so um, if you're publicly traded, you know, God bless that an organization probably started as a small business and became that big. Uh, but um, we are really that organization. And it's really interesting. The, the, there's all kinds of def definitions, Leon. You know, the federal definition typically is fewer than 500 uh, employees, which is a good, good number. But um, California's definition off more or less has been about fewer than 100 employees. Our average small business owner member of NFIB and the average small business owner is somewhere between five to nine employees, uh, usually somewhere in the neighborhood of about $350,000 to $450,000 in gross annual revenue. Um, and they're really these, these small independent operators. So again, um, we've been blessed to have all sides, sizes of businesses, but the average one is probably in that five to nine employees. Uh, and even some are much smaller. And gosh, as we'll probably get into in California, sadly, many of them are getting smaller and smaller, um, thanks to our beloved legislature. So, uh, uh, but yes, that's, that's, that's kind of what our litmus is and also what our average size. Got you. Real quick to follow up on that, you mentioned that um, in California, it's, it's considered under 100. Is that peculiar to California or is that kind of the norm around the country as well? Um, that's a good question. I think that typically that is what kind of our employment development department um, and our state figures have identified. You know, the federal figures are what the Bureau of Labor Statistics and uh, kind of the feds identify as a, just a kind of a number out there. I'd say if it's peculiar to California, I'm not sure if that's the case. I think that number is rather lofty. It's a great aspiration for small businesses. But again, the average small business is much, much smaller, even less than a tenth of that. So uh, we we see most small businesses, I wouldn't say are all micro businesses, uh, Jason, but they are definitely small. And uh, they are these. And what's exciting also, though, is these are a lot of family businesses that hire good people in their community that they consider extended family. So unlike a big business or corporation, many times these small businesses, as you all see in your neighborhoods and your backyards are real families, figuratively or literally. Well, you know, you, you, you kind of foreshadowed a little bit about some of these businesses, maybe shrinking a little bit in current times. What is the climate for businesses right now? Are we really watching them being squeezed at the moment? In California, oh, you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was just going to add. Both in California and nationally, I would, I would, I'd love to hear your response to that, John. Yes. Well, great question. You know, I think as we're looking both here and nationally, it's extremely stressed. You know, we're finding a lot of stresses with small businesses and particularly, uh, you know, even nationally, uh, Leon, to your question nationally, you know, people are still emerging from, from COVID. They're still emerging from the challenges that they had faced so much. Many of them still don't feel like they're completely ready for prime time uh, and they're still trying to crawl out of that hole. So um, we have found like the, the business climate nationally, we're still finding very stressed and strained. And I think the one word we hear more often than not from your average mom and pop owners or small business owners is uncertainty. There's still a feeling that they're fragile that they're uncertain, that you just don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, here in California, as you can imagine, it is exacerbated by the, the extraordinary hostile business climate here. Just And I'll just give you a few examples. You know, um, the Hoover Institution, which is based in Stanford, California, uh, noted some very startling figures that um, California business headquarters have left um, California in 2021 they left California two times the rate that they did in 2020 and 2019, three times the rate that they did in 2018. So, and then in the last three years, to give your, your viewers a little bit more perspective, you talk about businesses leaving California, it's happening and it's happening at every level. I mean, over the past three years, California lost, now this is trackable, 
11 Fortune 1000 companies just over the past three years. But that does not even begin to talk about the numbers of small to medium businesses that you know are now having to pick up their bags, fill up that U-Haul and take off. Uh, and we're seeing and hearing more of it. So uh, and, and we've asked small business owners, you know, in our organization and otherwise, but we've also found like even the, the, the Milken Institute did a study that found small business owners, 66% of them in a recent survey um, found California to be the business climate to be poor or very poor. I frankly think it's a much higher number than 66, unfortunately. But um, and those issues that we're finding uh, that we can get into are clearly inflation, you know, supply chain disruption and just the challenges of finding skilled workers. Uh, but that word, that U word, the U word uncertainty, unfortunately, here and nationally is the, is what's reigning right now. So, John, what did uh, what I mean, I think it's well known that that the COVID did a lot of damage to, to small businesses, a lot more, to me, a lot more than the, 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 um, the larger corporations like Walmart, etc. But what, what, from your perspective, what, what did, what did COVID do to, to, to your members? I mean, I mean, if you could just lay that out to us a little bit. Well, a few things, you know, I think in general, what it did was just by nature of a pandemic, it, 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 there's a lot of fear in a consumer. So even by nature of even government shutdowns, which actually happened aggressively here and to a point where, you know, we, we saw and felt the pain from the state leadership, uh, we felt that the, the COVID, the COVID, the, just the aura of fear of people coming out of their homes was a real impact on small businesses, Leon. So I think that was one of the biggest things that we found. Um, and the challenge with that then was, was again compounded by you know the governor and leadership at our state that frankly just flat out called for an abject shutdown. One of the things that we had hoped that the governor and the leadership and our legislators could have done was, was to have really brought in um, all of the meat leading sectors, automotive service, hospitality, retail, uh, you know, you name it, agriculture, and ask them what they needed. What were the protocols, the processes that, that they abide by and follow? But instead, it became, unfortunately, a one-size-fits-all shutdown. And to your point, uh, that was really hit hard. Add to that, the supply chain disruptions, what we found of so much things, so many things that are still being log jammed at our ports that are not getting on the shelves. And then add to that the challenge that even you compounded that at that time with crime, which I know we're going to talk about later, um, you know, break ins and things where people felt they could loot because these businesses were closed much of the time. You just had this Pandora's box that just was just scary. Uh, as I said, uncertain. And most of all, it just didn't, it didn't get California going again. So um, it was a lot of terrible things. Unfortunately, I think we're, we may see things coming back, but, but the, the challenge of COVID was the aura of fear uh, added by government just being way over the top in their extremism. Well, you know, one of the things you said there, too, you said the one size fits all. I, I had a couple of thoughts on that. One, it, it did seem like it was one size fits all unless you were kind of cozy with the legislature. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. because, right. I mean, we yes. literally saw restaurants that they shut down and then they would allow, say, film crews that had a special arrangement with the local politicians where they'd be able to open up a very similar like eateries for their for their uh you know staff that were making a movie but then they tell a a business just down the street that no no you can't operate right now and they, they literally watch them doing the exact same thing a block away that they couldn't do <laughs> yeah so. yeah right right uh, absolutely so. uh quite a bit of that nimbyism that we saw right and uh <laughs> a favoritism that we saw played but, you know, I think one of the things we also found, you know, the National Retail Federation um, did a security uh, survey in 2022. And, and, and I think a big part of the pandemic really showed that across all industries we saw, and this was nationally, but a $100 billion uh, shrink, what we call retail shrink, which is still a rapidly ballooning issue there, which is this, you know, this shrink of, of customer consumerism. Uh, and it, a lot of that being COVID driven, a lot of it being crime driven, that hasn't stopped. But I think one of the, the, the hardest things we saw was that, 
But I will say this. I always I don't like to be doom and gloom. One of the coolest things that I really noticed and witnessed was the perseverance, the grit, the courage we saw in so many small business owners. I think there was a small business member down in um, in the Long Beach, Southern California area that had a distillery. You know, and I can't can't fault them for having a, a good distillery or some good uh, some good spirits. Right. But during <laughs> they found the challenges that they had during this very difficult pandemic, they converted that business completely into a hand sanitizer company, which then became very successful. And that was one example of giving back and they donated a great number of things. So it was not only converting kind of a very difficult situation into a positive, but they were doing things to help their community and help others. So I love seeing those great stories of excitement uh, and, uh, and giving back out of this well, you, terrible nightmare. You know, I wanted to jump in on that because you're talking about good spirits and these guys trying to do something to adjust to the economy as it was at the time. I remember Reason had an article on this where some of these distilleries that had, had done the hand sanitizer to help out to try and do what the market needed. And suddenly the government was coming to them afterwards and saying, well, you weren't making the proper, you know, uh, uh, I, I guess w whatever licenses or whatever they needed to do, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, uh, the, the sanitizers. And they were literally coming back and trying to find some of these companies. Did, did that happen? Do you know to any of these companies that you're referring to? That wouldn't surprise me. I think we do see, you know, a lot of these companies, you're right, Jason, that really have tried to get back up on their haunches and do the right thing and even use that entrepreneurial spirit only to, again, to be penalized. Um, and the other thing that we saw a lot, you know, uh, back to what you were both asking about was the challenges out of COVID was, you know, we saw this complete misdistribution is what I would call it, a misdistribution of funds, the PPP funds. You know, God bless the LA Lakers if you're a fan, but there was no reason that they were getting tens of millions of dollars while these corner bait and tackle shops and restaurants and little coffee shops that were just trying to keep these people employed weren't getting anything. So um, NFIB picked up the phone, actually. I think we were very strong with uh, the, the Trump administration even at that time and said, look, we got to make sure this money is getting to the right people. And uh, that was a real problem. That, that ship got straightened out. But there's an example, again, to your point, Jason, you know, where there's an immediate mindset. Even the Federal Tax and Jobs uh, Act uh, had nothing in there for small business. This is going back a few years. Uh, our president and CEO at the time picked up the phone and, and called then Speaker Ryan and said, what's going on? You know, small businesses aren't cut in here. We got to make sure they're getting some help. Uh, and we did because of NFIB. So again, it's, it's this mindset on either side of the equation, right? Uh, it can be left, it can be right, but people often just don't think how vital small businesses are until something like COVID happens and everything shuts down, including our public services. Hmm. You know, one thing I wanted to jump on too, uh, it just said, but two, two issues, I guess. One is another illustration of the unfriendliness of government to business in California, but also to the sort of redistributional effects. And on the unfriendliness, even to large businesses, like I, I don't know if you heard of the, uh, the one um, anecdote that happened with Elon Musk and his uh, uh, car plant, where he was trying to get that up and running. And so that would certainly be a large business here in California. But and he got into it with the uh, state legislator, I guess the one in his district, uh, Elena Gonzalez, and she literally said, said in a tweet, F you to Elon Musk when he threatened to pull out to Texas. And I mean, that's literally the climate. I mean, that's not like, you know, just saying, hey, there's some hostility here. I mean, to see a legislator say that to a businessman is just, you know, because they're expressing concerns that their policies are potentially running them out of business is, is just beyond the pale. But, but the other thing is for your constituents as well, too, there's this redistributional effect where all of these small mom and pop businesses were told you can't operate. But then, of course, Amazon could be open. Uh, Walmart yeah. could be open. <laughs> Costco yes. could be open. Costco, so. <laughs> Walmart, yeah. they yeah. are all open. You know, yeah, you well, know, but to, to Jason's point, to, yes, to Jason's point though, about that that uh, state legislator who told Elon Musk "f you," it speaks not only to you know government hostility though. It speaks to a certain mindset that is that is totally against the the free enterprise system. And I mean, whether you're on the left or the right, or wherever you are politically, it really doesn't matter. We need the free enterprise system. If you want to fund your nice, fancy social programs, you need the free enterprise system to be working and working well.
if you if you be if you don't believe in that and you're just a guy want to make a buck trying to trying to move ahead you still need a free enterprise system but this mindset in some of all legislators and i'm talking about california in particular here is that we don't need these people and that's why that woman could tell elon Musk to f you and this yeah. is a horrible and dangerous mindset for our state john your comments no yeah absolutely you're hitting the nail on the head i think it's almost like a three-legged stool to your point what you were just saying is there's just this immediate hostility which is if you're not happy with california then f you get out we don't want you uh, no matter how many jobs you create how much of a you're helping our gdp uh how much you're supporting and again i say leon our public services because we found in covid these businesses when any business of any size shuts down or conversely thrives that has a direct impact on our schools our roads our union dollars um yes. on our hospitals on our education system right on so much but when that stuff is is siphoned off all of that, as we found, suffers. And most of that is small business, as we find. Because again, small businesses make up about 99.2% of all businesses and job two thirds of all job creation in California and pretty much nationally. Um, so it's that first one, which is that just that abject hostility and anger. If, you, if you're not with us, you're against us business, get out. Number two, uh, there is still a very pro-labor union uh, mentality here. Uh, again, for those of us and who may have family or friends in, in unions, not faulting that, but the unions have gotten out of control when they when they represent less than 8% of the working class and employer community. Uh, but then the other part of it is that I think we're also finding that there is just this hostility um, that um, success is frowned upon. So whether yes. it's you know Howard Schultz at Starbucks or a guy who's got a carpenter shop or a retail shop in, in the, around the corner from us, um, here in California, uh, if you're making money uh, you are obviously manipulating your employees and your community when we don't see that. And if there are, we, there are state laws and division of labor um, rules and regulations that hold them accountable. We, we don't stand by bad actor employers, but there's a mindset among most of the progressives here that success is wrong. And if yeah. you are successful, that needs to be immediately <laughs> distributed and that you need to pay your fair share and I just never understand what that is. But somebody once told me, I saw them on the street and they said, uh, well, you know how to create a small business in California, don't you? You open up a big business and just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Let nature take its course. And it almost sadly feels that way. So, uh, so yeah, there's, funny. There's, there's a mindset. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned the fair share. And I mean, I always think, you know, that does does Bernie have his fair share of houses at three? I mean, what, yeah, what right. exactly is? Oh, he has four now. Okay. I guess that's his new fair share. <laughs> God bless him. Exactly. God bless him. God bless him. Well, I, I, the, the fair share always seems to be whatever the threshold is that they don't have to give anything up. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, oh. but it, it, is an, it is a constant public education we must do. And I would say, again, we have to do it with both sides of the political aisle. You know, we have, uh, you know, we are a nonpartisan organization, uh, but we often find that it's that education. Uh, I'm glad we're doing this because it's great to educate your viewers about small business and the issues that are out there and, and here and nationally. But we have to really, all of us, I think, it's, it's upon us at NFIB to make sure that our policymakers at every level are educated and understand, um, you know, the impact of their decisions, good or bad. And so, that's John, okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So what I was going to ask is then, you said you are non, your, your group, your organization is a nonpartisan um, non um, organization. Do do you do you all endorse candidates in any way? We do, we do. What so when we were founded by Wilson Harder in 1943, it was like I said, it was important that every member has a vote on. They so they tell us the issues. They tell us, and that's how we that's how we go out there and and represent them here at this. And it was important that we also be only state and federal. There are great organizations that are local. Uh, chambers of commerce and such uh, they're all varied but they, I think he felt that we really wanted to keep the focus state and federal 
Um, the other part was that it was important that we also um, be involved, not just in policy, Leon, but also politically, that it is important for small business owners not only to have a say uh, in how, uh, how they are represented once the people are elected, but that small business owners ought to have a say in who is elected and how they're elected and, and the issues. So we have a state political action committee in every state in every one of the 50 states. And then we have a federal political action committee because it's so important to make sure that the face of our legislature and the face of our members of Congress uh, and, and elected officials, you know, at those levels are those that are truly walking the talk when it comes to Main Street uh, issues and fighting for us. So we do, we do very much get involved. And to follow up on that real quick, and James, maybe you could bring the visual up on this, but uh, I guess you guys also uh, help people know how your legislator is voting on these issues too, so that you can, uh, you know, do your part to keep them in line, I guess, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a voting record here in California and nationally. Um, we do one for our state legislators. Um, as many of your viewers may or may not know, um, California's legislature goes by a two-year session. So um, it's certainly a two-year session, and next year will be the culmination of the two-year cycle of the legislature that they meet. Um, we do ours. We were doing them every year, and I think at some point we maybe will resume that. But right now, at the culmination of every two-year session, we run a vote record here in California for our legislators. And it's quite simple. Again, it comes back to that lowercase d, democratic, uh, of our small business members telling us what issues are important to them. Ta you know, operational costs, regulations, making sure that there's not frivolous lawsuits out there, that they can survive and thrive. And then we actually go out and make sure we are taking positions on bills based on what our members tell us. But on the back end of that, we're also able to make sure that we are showing our members and showing the elected officials how these people voted and what they're, if they were truly, as I said, walking the talk. And Jason, Leon, talk is cheap. You know, uh, in Sacramento, we get, I, I almost want to turn it into a drinking drinking game every time I hear backbone of, you're the backbone of the economy. Um, but I think I'd probably be I'd have to be finding that distillery somewhere uh, down in Southern California. <laughs> well, you know, I unfortunately, I'm, we're going to have to break for our public uh, access audience. Uh, but if you're watching us on public access, this is all the time we have. But the conversation is going to continue online. So uh, you can uh, we're going to continue to talk with John about retail theft in California and how that's impacting uh, businesses as well. Um, so uh, you can find more of that on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify and Rumble. Um, you'll also find other con uh, conversations we've had with guests as well. Uh, so check it out, leave comments, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see you then, public access, but uh, conversation goes on here. Okay. Well, uh, so we're uh, continuing the conversation. Did you have anything more, John, you wanted to say on that issue before I cut you off? No, 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 that's great. I think um, that's great on the vote records and stuff. And I appreciated you directing people to the website, to the NFIB.com website. Again, we have a, one thing we might emphasize is that we have a, a state page. So if you go to our NFIB.com website, uh, there's forward slash CA for California, but you can find any of the states. James, and, can you bring that vi visual up again on his page again? So this is uh, NFIB.com. And yeah. uh um, I'm not sure exactly where the state page is, but, uh, um, uh, and I think if you push forward slash, uh, CA, I can, I think okay. if you just right after NFIB.com forward slash CA, it'll take you straight to that page. Uh, and then we can do that, but we, we, every state has a, uh, oh, has well, both records. The area of California. So. Yeah. <laughs> So okay. we can we can get, navigate people to that, and uh, okay. uh, that's great. But I think um, one of the things that um, we just want to make sure people are reminded of is that every small business owner has a voice at NFIB. Uh, their decisions aren't made for them. They make the decisions for us, and that's pretty cool. Okay. Indeed. Well, I, I think now let's let's jump into retail crime because this is, uh, you know, gosh, oh, yeah. if anything is a paradigm shifter that we've seen over the last maybe five years, roughly, certainly exacerbated in COVID, is this 
I guess just brazen change in the way people regard private property with, with uh, you know, people running small businesses and stuff. And I, I just, uh, it, it's just unbelievable. And for a libertarian perspective, I mean, we're all about private property rights. So that's the foundation of society as far as we're concerned. I mean, you own yourself and the products of your labor. So when somebody comes around and just starts grabbing it and, and what's the point of having a state at all if they're not even going to be there to deal with that for you? So I, I you know, it, it just, uh, it, it's amazing to me, but, um, yeah, so the, there's some numbers here that, uh, let's see. So this is, uh, uh, Capital One, I guess, has this page here where they talk about retail theft uh, in uh, shoplifting yeah. statistics. And they, they have links to every state. Uh, but they're talking about these numbers being in the billions of dollars. And they have this uh, tracker that they have where they're showing how that's changed over time. And you can see this alarming trend going in the in the wrong direction. <laughs> and it's just absolutely, uh, you know, really scary stuff. I know uh, you guys had sent us a link as well um, of something that we were uh, looking yeah. at as well. And I think these numbers are, are kind of uh, congruent with what we were just showing as well in the 90-something billion dollar uh, 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 numbers, I think. So it, the numbers are just staggering. Um, so, John, what, what, what's going on there? Uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what your, uh, you know, small business constituents are experiencing? I, I'm just perplexed. And I guess, you know, there's three words that come to my mind and, and I, I, I just don't know how else to say it without a lot of anger and frustration and, and perplexed uh, mindset. And that is Rome is burning or California is burning. And our policymakers, the Nero's of the world here are doing nothing but fiddling and not getting anything done. <clears throat> Let me give you some examples here. Yes, um, we we joined a coalition that was launched. Uh, we're um, one of about 200 different business groups, crime victims advocates, just everyday Californians that joined an organization called Californians Against Retail and Residential Theft. It's up on your screen or called CART <clears throat> at C-A-R-R-T.org, C-A-R-R-T.org, where your viewers can uh, find out more great facts and get involved. Um, but I mean, uh, just to find out more information and um, um, but here's some st startling statistics. Let's just let's just put it. The, the, this is on the table right now. Um, according to the California Department of Justice, the California Department of Justice property crimes are up by more than 10 percent. Take it locally. Uh, crime property crimes have been up over the past couple of years. Nine point one percent in Los Angeles, 17.2 percent in San Jose, 16.9 percent in Sacramento. Uh, and, you know, the numbers are just startling and you can see them on that list. But as I mentioned before, what we're finding with small businesses is they are at least they are the most commonplace crimes because people really know there's no accountability um, and they are the least able to defend themselves. And we have policymakers that have let Rome burn because of soft on crime policies that hug the criminal and demonize both the small business owner and law enforcement. Um, and then on top of that, we have leaders that are failing to provide locals with sufficient law enforcement. So you take that, those two components of it, and there's no surprise why a small business owner feels like, why should I just keep this open? I am defenseless. Nobody's fighting for me. Law enforcement's great, but there's not enough of them. And then on top of that, um, we have just stuff on crime laws, and our policymakers are doing zip to fix this. And we have Democrat and Republican, Jason, I want to point out, Jason and Leon, we have Democrats and Republicans that are of a sensible mindset that are introducing good laws to help hold these criminals accountable and create real rehabilitation programs. They aren't even making it out of committee. Last year, public safety committees, both public safety committees in our legislature, there were 17 bills that were introduced, Democrats and Republicans alike, nothing moved out. This year, we've had about seven or eight. We couldn't even get a darn study bill, a bill that would have just researched the issue out. So um, I don't know how bad bad has to get, but it's bad and it's dangerous. And now they're escalating to violent situations. Yeah. And and this is... Uh... So, so, John, so, so, John, who, who, who is standing in the way? I mean, it is obvious to, to all of us. Yeah, that we in well, California have a very serious problem with retail theft. That is very obvious. I don't. I don't think you could get away from it. It's all over the media. 
is all over the newspapers, is all over the internet. So who is standing in the way of attempting, at least attempting to fix this problem? It's our public safety committees in both houses in the legislature, Leon. So we have the Senate Public Safety Committee and the Assembly Public Safety Committee. We, again, we have had Democrats and Republicans. We've had people from all sides of the aisle work to bring sensible bills. Again, out of 17 that were introduced last year, 17 didn't make it out. Eight or nine this year that were bipartisan, they did not make it out. So our public safety committees, and in particular, the chairs of those committees, have got Reginald Jones-Sawyer uh, in the assembly. And, uh, you know, we've got a new Senate public safety committee chair. So we'll we will give uh, Senator Wahab a little benefit of the doubt that she's relatively new. But both of those committees combined combined with our local city councils and policymakers that are many of whom are not doing anything. I'll give you an example, San Francisco, where Mayor London Breed's own home was robbed. <laughs> um, I don't know how bad it has to get until it gets personal, Mayor wow. Breed, but he was a victim of theft. Uh, I, um, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors has recently introduced a bill that uh, ordinance that would disarm all um, security and private security officers in the city. And in Sacramento, there's actually a bill that's been making its way through that would hold the employer, the small business owner accountable for even asking the thief why they are taking these things from them. It would hold them liable. This is the mindset we have hug the criminal, demonize the uh, employer, the small business owner, and then on top of that, stop funding law enforcement. How bad does it have, bad have to get? I don't know. It's gotten about as bad as it can get, and people are dying. And and we, we have a couple mm -hmm. of videos, so I wanted to show kind of how bad it's getting, at least here in California. I mean, maybe if you happen to be in some small town somewhere, this will look like you're on an alien planet, maybe, <laughs> if you see these things. But, but uh, this is this is what's currently happening. This isn't a science fiction movie or anything else like that. So, James, can you roll these uh, the, those first two video clips? What you're seeing here, this is a Walgreens store, I believe, in the Bay Area. And they've literally had to chain their refrigerator sections okay which is just i mean <laughs> you know i grew up you know you you go into a store you grab the stuff you put it in your cart and you walk to the register and we can't even do that anymore because uh, you know it's it's so bad that i mean we've seen these videos of people literally just filling bags and walking out the door and not paying anybody and nobody can stop them and and it's leading to issues where when when government doesn't do this most basic thing of protecting private property rights it's going to cause violence as, as john was just saying and, and we have a video of something that just happened a couple of weeks ago in stockton it's a very uh, it's about 30 second video but uh um you know a shoplifter comes in and these two clerks <laughs> I kind of think of them as the heroes in that movie almost. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if we could say the word here, but uh, kick ass, I guess, was the name of the, the movie. But where they, they taped the guy who was confronting some, uh, you know, things and they turned into heroes. So that's almost like what's happening with these guys, I think. Uh, but, uh, James, maybe you can roll tape here and, and show what happened in the 7-Eleven store in Stockton, California. No, it's, it's nothing you can do, but it's nothing you can do. It's like they're not gonna do nothing. You just have so to you can see here a, a crook is just filling a garbage can with stuff on the shelves. You can see now why they're what? Does he have a sense? No, this is it hurts you. And you can hear a customer, he's literally asking the clerk if the clerk has insurance and just to let him take whatever you can he wants do off the shelf. There's nothing you can do, man. Tell you call police. Uh -huh. no, no, no. Ain't nothing you can do, man, until the police come in. Hey, hey, no, you, hey, don't. Hey. Ain't nothing you can do, man. Don't do that. So, so this guy does not work there. The guy with the garbage can, he is just. Okay. And, and I mean, but this is serious because, I mean, those clerks could get hurt. You know, a, a, a mom and pop business owner could get hurt. I mean, this is this is crazy. I mean, what what's what's the point of government if they're not going to do anything here? Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, no, this is this is and again, this is one of the things we have communicated to the attorney general's team, the governor's team, the legislators is 
is it's, it's we're seeing reverberations of what we saw back in 1992, if you remember the L.A. civil unrest. Right. And even other yes. things where we saw even more recently in 2020 during the riots there. We have small business owners in particular. This is their livelihood. These 7-Eleven franchisees and others. This is everything they've mortgaged their homes for. They're in debt. Uh, most of the time, these are people they're employing. This is their livelihood. They can't re-inventory overnight. They don't have the ability to pay for, you know, the ability to do things like a larger business. And any any business hit is not good. But at the end of the day, this is unfortunate. Uh, an unfortunate um, uh, side effect is that we're seeing people taking the law into their own hands because this is their, we don't condone it, but this is what they are being led to do. And we are imploring the leadership to say, please, feed more law enforcement, support more law enforcement locally. And then the other thing we didn't even talk about was Prop 47. Proposition okay. 47, I want to, if you have, let we me, have a moment. Let me, let me bring up a visual for that real quick too. Yeah. Yeah. Institute had something on that where they put it up sort of why this is happening in right. places like California. Uh, go, 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 go ahead, John. Uh, uh. So a number of progressive lawmakers uh, in back in 2014 and, and advocates uh, felt that our, our law enforcement system, our correctional system was getting too bloated uh, with the wrong people. And as such, they um, were able to pull some wool over the eyes of voters in 2014 and advocate and get voter, enough voters to approve Prop 47 in 2014. What Prop 47 did was, and it, what it does, is it raised the value of a piece of property in its retail store from what was $450 to be considered anything north of that a felony up to $950. So they basically were giving criminals the ability to take well over $500 more uh, in goods or just slightly underneath that amount and still not be considered a felony. As former sheriff of Sacramento, John McGinnis had mentioned, you know, we're willing to accept a person now in society going into a store every day of the year, stealing $949 worth of merchandise and basically being held harmless for that. Um, right. So that was a big problem. Um, even the nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California found within the couple of years after that happened that property crimes and crimes had increased by upwards, I think, of like 9%. Um, so we're finding that this is a direct correlation to people being able to thumb their nose at the law, um, take more money. And actually, there's people who are traveling from one location to another because you can't aggregate those, those amounts in a day or in any particular situation. Until our, until our leaders decide to really um, fund law enforcement locally sufficiently, but more importantly, we need to reform Prop 47. It is a large root of this problem. And what it's doing is it's telling the criminals that they're the ones that are favored. They have a pass while the small business owners and law enforcement are demonized. And um, at the end of the day, we need to, we need to fix it. As I said, Retail shrink has gone up in the past couple of years from over $90 billion to $94.5 billion in California, most of that being directly related to theft. And may I add one more thing? A lot of this is not just retail theft. A lot of this are families in our own neighborhoods. We are seeing porch piracies. Um, over the past several years, there has been 260 million packages amassing to the amount of $20 billion in porch piracy. Um, now that's a nationwide number, but that is still a big number. And then the catalytic converter here in California, you're, you're hearing about these cat converters being stolen. Let me give you a most startling number. Um, there were in 2012, there were, I'm sorry, in 2018, there were 1300 catalytic converter thefts in 2018. 2021, there were 52,000 plus that is a 12,000% increase in catalytic converter thefts just in three years, in about three or four years. So we've got to fix this. Prop 47, fund more of our you know, law enforcement locally. And at the end of the day, we need, we need to make sure that our uh, elected officials in Sacramento are being held more accountable or changed out. And we need them to be changed out because nothing's getting done. So John, is there, uh, I'm sorry. You wanted to go, Jason? Go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to jump on the catalytic converter thing. Uh, the it, it's funny because you know in we, we've talked about this on the show before, but in places like San Francisco, aside from catalytic converters, people have just been breaking into cars so frequently that people are literally being just told, well, just leave your car unlocked and your windows down so that they don't have to break the windows when they steal stuff from your car. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the yeah. that literally being given. Um, it, it's just absolutely horrifying. And, and I did want to mention, too, on that whole Prop 47 thing, it, from a libertarian perspective, we see this a lot of times. This is a domino effect of one bad policy leading to another bad policy leading to another. And I mean, we, we had this uh, almost a prison industrial state here in California that where the prisons got so crowded and we were spending, I think we we're spending over $100,000 per prisoner to house them. So, they, you know, and a lot of that's because of unions and other things, but it's, it's just absolutely got ridiculous. So then I think the idea was, well, what do we do to relieve the prisons? Oh, well, we'll just stop arresting people. That's the solution, um, right? right? Just, just don't arrest them. Just leave them. Leave <laughs> them be. Or leave them be. Back, or let the criminals back on the street. You know and what? give them a hug. Give them a hug. Yeah, and give them a hug, too. You know no, what? No, on that note, I, I will say on that note, we are not opposed. And I think if you talk to most small business owners in California, we do believe rehabilitation. We joke about giving a hug that there should be a, there should be a pathway to that and to diversion programs. A lot of these bills have included that. They are not even getting passed out of committee. And I, you mentioned San Francisco, Jason, I'll tell you, gosh, I guess it took the, the federal government to wake up recently. They basically uh, issued an order to federal government employees in the downtown district of San Francisco um, to work from home, ordering them to work from home because the neighborhood where the federal building is located is not safe. So now the employees at the federal level are being required to work from home because the, the, the neighborhood within their working but then the other thing you want to think about is the fact that these these um, families, these small businesses, um, prices go up, right? So this is gonna this has a direct effect not only on um, this is another impact of when we see retail theft happening, and you're talking about you know showing those shelves that are empty, you know prices go up because the supply is that much more severe. So um, we got to fix this, and at the end of the day, there's a real problem, and our policymakers need to make this work and they're sitting on their hands and that's just not acceptable. So John, what, one of the one of the issues that have arisen is the, the use of private security. Is there a problem from a, a legal jeopardy standpoint for, for business owners in using private security in some of, in some of their businesses? Because we have had the case of um, this didn't involve private security, but Jose Alba in, in, in New York, he had to end up killing this guy who was trying, who was really attacking him. And then he was arrested. I mean, he has since been released. But is there an issue about private security in, 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 in some of these retail businesses? Um, well, I think what we are finding is that the private security is um, is a vital source and resource that should that should be continued. Again, San Francisco has been looking to uh, disarm private security. And, and then there's some laws that are even going to hold employers accountable or their personnel for even inquiring about people who are walking out the door with shoes or whatever. The, the criminals are now calling these crimes crimes of economic necessity. That's the phrase that they've that the progressives have deemed it. <clears throat> to your point, though, Leon, about private security, uh, there is almost this complete um, demonization of even the private security officers that are trying to protect. And it, it is not just the small business owners. Keep in mind, customers are now becoming more and more targeted by thieves. The the employees now we've heard from. We were in a roundtable with people from every level of small businesses, from CVS Health to medium-sized businesses. The employees now have a morale issue because they feel that the security guards, that those and the law enforcement in their community can do nothing to protect them, either because there's not enough of them or because they are hamstrung by silly, ridiculous, dangerous laws that are hamstringing them from doing anything. So now employees in workplaces are, are feeling that they can't, they are, their, their morale is low because they feel that they and the customers are sitting ducks. Okay. You know, it, it just amazes me, too, that, you know, the attitude that the government has on a lot of these things. I mean, I remember when uh, uh, most of the Walgreens, I think, have left 
the San Francisco area. And London Breed was just saying, well, that was just part of their business strategy. (laughs) The business strategy did not do business. Is this the same London London Breed whose home was robbed, right, Jason? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Maybe that was part of her strategy, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but right. uh, but it, it's unbelievable. Like we see Lori Lightfoot. Maybe we can get this visual up on the on the uh, thing as well. Uh, but in uh, she's she was the mayor of Chicago, and at the time, people were literally just smashing and grabbing in the stores. Uh, in I think the last year of her mayorship there in, on the Miracle Mile, and she was blaming the retailers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do if you're, and you know, it's funny too, I I see there's a lawsuit going out against some of the uh, car manufacturers as well, because they say, you're making your cars too easy to steal. I I mean. (laughs) Well, yeah. And then, and closer to home, you know, uh, uh, Governor Newsom has, you know, called, and when he was responding to the San Francisco, where he was once mayor, as many know, he basically said, um, uh, he, when he was asked about this, he said, you know, it's time for our leaders to enforce the darn laws. He used another word than darn. Um, but, you know, and I thought there for a minute, well, what laws are those? Is that Prop 47 to hug the criminal more? Is that the mm-hmm. laws to disarm the, the uh, private security? Um, which which laws are you exactly referring to? Because that's not really, how's that working out for us? That's not been so successful. So um, I think what we what we really are, and then we you, we've talked a little bit about insurance. You know, a lot of insurance, property insurance companies are are dropping small business owners because of multiple thefts. Uh, yes. You know, it's something that was an issue that our CART coalition wasn't as aware of, but we're hearing more and more. I was down in Simi Valley in Southern California. I was at a bike store and a guy who has had repeat break-ins um, said that his insurance company is dropping him now because that's just, it's just too many uh, for them to count and to, to hold that risk. So um, we, we just don't understand, but it's, it is that mindset that the small business owner is the bad guy and that they're the ones who are doing things wrong and the criminal needs all the help in the world. And again, while we don't disagree that rehabilitation is, can be a pathway to help fix this and should be, yeah. uh, there is zero accountability in our laws, zero accountability. Well, you know, th- and that, and that, to- that really is the major problem is the accountability. I mean, so, right. certainly is, you see, Criminals walking out of uh, with 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 yeah, out of these retail places with all kinds of stuff, and no one is challenging them. No one is hunting them down to even to try to recover or, this. Stuff. Leon, if they do take them in, then they just release them without bail. Right away. Without bail, all kinds. Under <laughs> under under the bail reform, remember we had bail yeah. reform under that. So all of these things are just are just enhancing the. Uh, I mean, making making the problem worse than it should be. You know, um, uh, Jason, I should, um, John, I'm sorry, I should tell you, my signal is getting a little weak, so, but I don't know how long I can stay on, but I'll keep on going as much as I can. Go ahead, please. There is also this thing that we call the broken windows theory, right? The more we allow items to go unchecked in our communities, the worse the community becomes. And if you look back at crime numbers since the passage of 40, Prop 47, as I said, violent crimes have jumped more than 25 percent. Uh, and, and the retail theft impacts are obvious when you see the lengths that some businesses are going to um, in order to reduce retail theft, like we saw at that 7-Eleven. We don't want the wild, wild west. In fact, the last thing we want is for people to be placed in harm's way. Uh, but, you know, it's hard. You know, we we can't condone violent acts of any sort. It's just understandable that these small business owners feeling helpless and hopeless don't know any other way to protect themselves. It's not even to protect their property. It's to protect the very people that are working in that place when these criminals come in. So, uh, you know, leadership, time to wake up, time to get things done. Um, and and we in a recent survey that was done, you know, eight and 10 real retailers that were surveyed uh, nationally reported violence has increased um, in some way uh, over the past three to four years. So most are feeling that this is not just people grabbing some Snickers bars and walking out. These are becoming more dangerous and they're becoming more dangerous on our own porches. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, because if you confront somebody who's grabbing your package out there. But one of the things I wanted to ask you as well, too, is because we talked about these statistics earlier in the program about uh, being up 10 percent, 20 percent, you know, these Mm -hmm. crimes and stuff in different different areas of the state. And the issue is that's probably way undercounting it, too, because the, the issue is that if you are a business, do you even bother to report everything at this point? I mean, when stuff is stolen, if, if like, for instance, if, if somebody literally just walks in, grabs your stuff and then leaves and you know, the police aren't going to do anything about it. At some point, do, do business owners just not even bother to call the police? Most of the time they don't, because they don't know that there's going to ever be any response. Um, you know, and again, I, I don't want your listeners or your viewers to think that is a reflection on law enforcement is that there's just not enough of them to be able to sufficiently meet that bandwidth so i think at the end of the day most small business owners just don't feel that because the laws have and the policymakers have made it so so scant amongst our law enforcement that they just don't feel anybody will come to, to their rescue um so many of them don't report it I will say that on a positive note, we are working, trying to work with the Department of Justice and others, at least to try and build some better reporting educational materials for small businesses across the state. We're working with a number of other organizations or will be soon to help at least educate small business owners amongst our organizations, how to report, when to report. But it's got to be more than just reporting. We've got to nip it on the bud on the front end. It's one thing to try and educate. We have a lot of leaders who are trying to hold businesses accountable to report better, to file these claims more effectively. Let's not get to that point. Let's not get to that point. That's like trying to help find people the best outfit and the uh, best uh, bodysuit for Chernobyl in the wake of Chernobyl. Let's try and stop Chernobyl from happening, right? So, and that's a little outdated probably for your viewers who are familiar, but but let's yes. stop the problem from blossoming, right? Or even more close to home, it's like trying to add people to try and fix the problem and wear the best out, um, protective gear for COVID. No, let's get to the core, the core of it and the source and stop it from happening anymore. Yeah. And their policy but, yeah, just not thinking about You know what, John, the scary thing is the thing that you said you said originally when we, when when we, when we started speaking about this problem, how bad does it have to get before our legislators recognize the seriousness of this problem? Because I am my my feeling is that we are we are still on that trend of getting bad. Nobody, yeah. there's not enough resistance to what is going on. So so that question that you asked, and I and I think it's very very relevant. How bad does this have to get? If if we are already living in, I mean, or your your business members are living in fear of their their property and their lives in some cases, how bad does it have to get before something is actually done? Well, and, and yeah. Leon, before John, before you uh, jump in to answer that real quick, I just wanted to to take us back real quick to what just happened the last few years as well, and and this sort of uh, uh, you know gets into. James, maybe you can bring up the visual, but I mean, we went through a situation where they were telling us fiery, but mostly peaceful protests as they yes. burned and looted shots. Right? Yeah, right, with the fire in the background. Uh, right, and, and I mean, this is like, and, and then of course, uh, and we, we did have a video, but I'm not, I'm not going to bother just for time's sake to show it, but uh, that the mayor of Seattle had four blocks taken over, literally taken over by protesters and she had said well this this will be our summer of love <laughs> you know what's the answer to those businesses who were being occupied they wouldn't send police in they literally had a police station taken over um wow. and I, I believe this is and, the and uh, some people uh, kill in that in that shop or how they call it yes, exactly the chop zone and here's a, yeah. an article from bbc this is how it wound up that you know, it, they said, oh, well, this is an experiment, a summer of love. So they let them police themselves. Um, people just wandering around with AK-47s, you know, uh, wow. in the streets. And they wound up having a couple of teenagers killed in the end. Uh, and then they yes. sent the police in and, and cleaned the whole thing up. But, I, I mean, this this whole idea of defund the police and uh, it just, you know, if, if that's the, if this is the 
you know, kind of the mentality that we're dealing with with politicians. Is there much hope? <laughs> That's crazy. And if, if you want, Jason, to, to really put things into perspective, I, I there was a, a story that ran just recently, uh, you know, recently now it being, you know, mid mid August of this podcast, but of 2023. I just read a recent article that's in the past week that said tech companies in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, their number one location that they are migrating to because it's a better business climate is Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I joke you not. I joke you not. Um, so if, if that is the place that if this is the place that people are running to for a safer, better quality of life god help us yes <laughs> in a big way too in a big way yeah crazy well you know one uh, i guess uh, aside from all these businesses leaving and you know closing down and, and by the way too san francisco is apparently just uh you know replete with businesses i, I saw a video of a guy just walking down uh, you know market street in san francisco and it was literally like every other business more than every other business i should say it was like it was like um you know finding the needle in the haystack to find a store that was still open on yeah. Street, which was just yes. bizarre i i you know never would have imagined i mean you know here's a whole foods that closed in that area so uh it's just just kind of crazy but one of the things i wanted to hit too is that there are very real consequences to this and, and in downtown sacramento where we podcast out of um they actually had a situation uh not too long after covid started where a store owner confronted somebody for shoplifting and he got killed so you yes. know i mean this is literally what we're up against and you know if if uh you know it's literally over a can of beer the guy took a can of beer walked out of the store with it he confronted him in the parking lot and got killed and you know so yeah i mean hey john what, what's a store owner to do i mean you know that they, they that you know should, aside from you know trying to reach out to you guys to to you know uh, make changes or to proposed changes in the laws is there anything that they can be doing in all of this madness uh, to protect themselves and their their customers and their employees yeah well i think all politics is local and all issues tend to be that way i, I would say first and foremost when a crime happens do try to report it i do encourage small business owners to build a relationship with their local law enforcement there's usually you know, you know, go to the police department and, and, and ask if, you know, sometimes there are business districts that will also pool together for security guards and security detail, you know, together. That I think is always helpful. Build that relationship with the local law enforcement and to the extent possible. Um, you know, I think that's always very helpful. I do think that the most important thing they can do is go to their elected official who represents their district, demand that them and they and their staff come in and, or invite them, you know, invite them to come to your business, show them the broken window, or at least show them the risks in your neighborhood. And then on top of that, definitely contact Sacramento, T contact your senator and your assembly member and ask them what they are doing about it. But I think starting with your local elected official and banding together with other small business owners in your area to go to that elected official. And that's what CART, our coalition is doing. We've been gathering groups to meet with their elected officials locally We've been doing Zooms and in-person meetings with elected officials with people in their own backyard so that it hits home. But in addition to that, report those incidents. Try and grab that information. Um, you know, I think also try and if you have the ability to install cameras, have some of that stuff as well. But at the end of the day, Jason, to answer your question, we need to vote for more pro-law enforcement candidates at the ballot box next year. And I think, honestly, Leon, to your point, how bad has bad gotten? People are there. People are there. And I think even, whether you're a left or a right or middle or libertarian, I think most voters right now feel that we are beyond there. We are deeper than there. And uh, my hope is that with these candidates running, ask them how they're, what they're going to do to fix things, ask them specifically, and then hold them accountable. But we got to get better people elected at every level. And I think next year is is a time we can do that. But we don't have till next year for many of these businesses to stay open. So right now, demand your policymakers come and visit you and go to your law enforcement and ask them what, what's being done. Um, and But band together. I think the most important thing that we saw through COVID and an inspiring thing is we saw so many small business owners and customers 
helping each other, g gathering together in the community. That's how we crawled out of this hole of COVID. And, and I'm confident that's how we're going to crawl out of this hole of, uh, hole of crime. Yes, indeed. That yes. sounds like a great place to leave it on, John. And now, can we bring up uh, John's website again real quick? Uh, John, did you want to point anybody to anything particular to, uh, to go to or anything else uh, before we leave? Yeah, no. So that's great. So if you go to NFIB, if you want to find out more about the National Federation of Independent Business, we would welcome any small business owner uh, to join NFIB. We're only we are 14,000 strong in California, but it's kind of like the pencil theory. Imagine if you have one pencil, you can break it. If you've got five to 10 of them, it's a little more difficult, if not impossible. So go to NFIB, NFIB.com. Uh, if you would like to join, um, there is a California page. It's just NFIB.com and then a forward slash CA for California, CA. And it will bring up information on the bills that we are dealing with, the issues, politically, the elections, vote records, um, but also other things that we are doing. we got a great legal center, Jason and Leon, that's fighting for small businesses. You know, we were the lead plaintiff challenging Obamacare back in the day, but we also filed briefs on behalf of small business owners on many issues. But go to NFIB.com, the California page, and most importantly, get involved. We'd love to have you be a part, and um, it'll help you to know that, look, you are not alone out there, and you got you got folks fighting for you every single day while you're doing what you do best which is running your small business and creating jobs. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, thanks so much, John, for joining us. I'm it's glad to hear that uh, small businesses do have a voice out there, uh, you know, especially uh, where we're seeing all of these uh, crazy distortions of them being stomped down. Uh, but uh, to our guests out there, uh, thanks so much for joining us for another conversation on how people just like you are uh, advancing the cause of liberty across the nation and in, in your region. Uh, you can go to our, our website, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Rumble, search for Knuckleheads of Liberty there, um, and you'll find a lot more conversations. Leave comments. Um, and until next time, uh, consider what you can do in your community as well to advance the cause of liberty liberty. Uh, but until next time, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, indeed. John, thank you. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.